0: That's different. That, that, that's different. That's different. Welcome to That's Different Podcast, the show about the path less traveled. Each episode, I interview people that have chosen to defy convention and do something different with their lives. I'm your host, Sarah Anderson, and today we are speaking with Lindsay Kalberg the founder and CEO of my favorite yoga brand, Ritual Hot Yoga. Ritual is shaking up the industry, and if you're into yoga and in the San Francisco or Chicago areas, you've probably already heard of them. They're known for their ultra-sweaty, candlelit classes where you breathe to the beat of the music. But some of the most remarkable things about this company are behind the scenes, and that's thanks to Lindsay's dedication to creating a yoga company that really supports their employees offering full benefits and more in an industry that is notoriously bad at taking care of their own. If you aren't familiar, we talk more about that industry as we discuss Lindsay's experience as a yoga practitioner, then a teacher, and then her journey to creating the powerhouse yoga brand that Ritual is today, all without compromising on her values or her vision. We talk about leadership, entrepreneurship, vulnerability, and more, and there's so much juicy goodness in this episode. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Let's start things off by giving our listeners a taste of ritual. For those who aren't familiar, it's a very unique and special experience, and we'll go deeper into that later, but can you just give us a taste by walking us through what the experience of a ritual class is like? Say you're coming for the very first time, what's it like from the moment you walk through the door?
1: Yes. So when you walk into ritual, it should feel like home. There's no front desk, nothing intimidating. It's just a fireplace some people greeting you. We'll get you checked in a little studio tour. We are all inclusive, which is usually the first thing you'll notice when you walk in. Everything is there. We say make yourself at home, dig through the cabinets, find what you need. Then you kind of get transformed. And as you enter the room, it's a dark handle it, uh, room with incense burning and all the mats are preset. So it's very easy way to come in. You don't have to worry. You're like, get something. You know, we've got complimentary water. Everything's ready there for you. And then the class, it's a bit of a shocker, I'll say. <laughs> so you start off and it's like, oh wow, we're meditating. It's very calm, very relaxed. And then before you know it, we're moving, we're breathing, we're sweating. It's fast. The person next to you might be in handstand within the first five minutes and you might be like, what is going on? You know, you're going to move and sweat and breathe the teacher is going to talk to you about yoga philosophy, potentially take your mind to places that you didn't expect to go. And it's going to then leave you in Shavasana, sometimes feeling like what the hell just happened in a sweaty, blissful state. And in that moment, you get a nice, cool eucalyptus towel over your eyes accompanied with a massage. And then, you know, you leave uh, the room kind of potentially confused about what just happened, but Curiously wanting more.
0: That sounds spot on like my experience. Okay, so now we're gonna take a little bit of a, a jump back. I'd love to know when was your like when did you get into yoga at first? Yep, I was uh it's my second semester freshman year of college. And
1: the first semester I had probably a typical first semester college experience. I was drinking all the time, you know, partying, doing the thing, wild and free. And I was just starting to feel a little chaotic in my life and realized that I needed something physically grounding. And so I went to my first uh, hot yoga class and walked in. I was like, oh, I was, you know, active in high school. I should be able to nail this and looked around and all the people were about, you know, 20 years older than me. And I was like, okay, I can do this for 90 minutes. I was just like, wow, like body was moving in shapes. I didn't know it could, it wasn't moving in shapes. I thought it could. And by the end of the class, I was just lying there in my first Shavasana, just so sweaty, like, Oh my God, what just, what just happened to me? And I felt just like this intense state of bliss. And I had already you know, kind of thought I wanted to open a business someday. And then after that class, I remember thinking like, Oh my gosh, I could, I could open a yoga studio. That's that could be my business. So it was a cool experience.
0: Wow. Yeah. Cause that, I, that was one of the things I was wondering because you were a business major right in school that was about midway through. So you then pretty early started to think about like doing something yoga related basically. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I have actually a video of an interview my sophomore year
1: Of when I was teaching yoga, of someone interviewing me about what I wanted to do with my life, and I was talking about my
0: studio. Wow, that's pretty amazing to have that. Mm -hmm. It's cool. You were in university when you came up with one of your first businesses, right? Matt Snaps. Yes. Can you talk about like the catalyst, inspiration behind that?
1: Yeah, I have always been kind of a tough teacher. Like my classes, I don't like to offer breaks. I. I generally see people as stronger than they see themselves, I think, in class, and so I don't like when they take breaks because they don't need to. Some of my students would take breaks. I remember specifically like in forearm plank, they would stop and like fix their towel, and I was like, okay, you do not need to be taking a break to fix your towel. Like, this is ridiculous. So in one of my business classes, we had to write a business plan, and I had always wanted something to hold the yoga towel in place on the yoga mat so that way it wouldn't move and they could hold their planks. And so that kind of prompted me. I'm like, okay, let's just write the business plan around this. I'm in a group with three other guys. And they're like, you want us to write a plan on what? Anyway, so wrote a business plan during that. And it created mat snaps, which is, it's a little clip that goes on the edge of your towel and mat and it holds it down in place. So once you have these four snaps on each corner of your mat, your towel doesn't move. I got very excited about it. I remember being at a few classes and I would have my students and I would like take their towels and I would pin in, like pound with a hammer little buttons in just so that way they could start practicing and creating our first prototype. So yeah. That's awesome. And
0: how how did it do? Did you end up presenting it with your group? Yeah, we presented it with our group
1: and we got a B minus. They said it sounded like it wasn't going to work. They called it an aftermarket doodad and that yoga was on the way out. And so it wasn't a good, wasn't a good industry to be investing in.
0: Wow. Okay. (laughs) So that's like your first bit of feedback that you've gotten, or at Mm -hmm. least, you know, around this yoga industry where it was, that's, that's like fairly negative, but you did it. Like you went ahead and did it anyway. Yeah. What, like, what was your thought process when, when you got that feedback, were you, were you like, disappointed and like, oh, like questioning it? Or were you just pretty strong willed? Just like, yeah, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. What happened in your mind? Yeah,
1: I was more like, yeah, this guy, you know, he may or may not know what he's talking about. He might, he might be right. He might be wrong. I know my students towels are moving during yoga class. So we move forward. And that was just kind of the thought was like, I, I, I valued the opinion. But at the end of the day, my students needed to not move their towels on their yoga mat. And that was the objective. The objective wasn't to get an A on the paper. So I, I, I don't shy away from negative feedback. I, I think sometimes it fuels me to just be like,
0: Oh, let me show you. Oh, okay. Okay. And then, so after school, you were working in the yoga industry, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. What, yeah. What was that experience like? It was, it was
1: interesting I moved to Chicago, wanted to work for like a big yoga studio company to see kind of how they scaled, what their model was like. And when I went to apply for a job, they were like, oh no, you need to, you need to be trained in our style. I'm like, oh, don't worry. Like I already have done two teacher trainings. I've already been teaching for three years. Like I'm, I'm definitely, you know, certified. I I can teach. And they were like, no, no, you need to pay for our training. And I was like, oh, got it. First, like business light. You know, turning on in the head. Got it. Got it. Okay, cool. Show me the training list. What's your cheapest training? So I picked the cheapest training that they had, went through that. Right after that was done, then they said, Okay, now it's time for your internship. It's like, okay, internship. Uh or no, first, sorry. There was auditions first. And then once you got auditioned and hired, you got put into an internship. So that internship was Is teaching. internship,
0: a.k.a. work for free?
1: Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. 35 classes unpaid. By the wow. way, they didn't put you on the schedule, so you were just a sub. So when a regular teacher was out, they would send out this email to the list of 30 people that just graduated teacher training with you. Whoever picks it up first goes in and teaches the class for free. Second business, like, wow, they don't have problem filling classes, and they're getting all this free labor. During that time, you also had to do two hours of marketing work. I was like, Oh, this will be interesting. It was cold calling new students to hear about feedback, or I it's not cold calling, calling students to hear about their first experience at the studio and entering it into a database. So I was like, okay, no worries. Like, this is just the real world. You got to just work through it. So I worked through it, got through it, uh, started teaching. And I think at the time I was making like maybe 20 bucks a class. It was about, you know, about two hours. You had to be there before and after. And it's like, okay, trying to do the math. Oh, this isn't going to work. I'll never afford life. So then I applied and became, you know, an assistant at the studio. And that was interesting. I got to see more of the back end of the business. That was still minimum wage hourly, but I was able to, you know, more readily make ends meet. But I remember talking to my manager about like, okay, well, how much do managers make? And what about, you know, benefits? And she kind of just laughed at me and said, Oh no, like we focus on hiring people that aren't dependent on their income. I was like, Oh, like got it. So what does that
0: even mean?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, what it meant and what I quickly realized was when we were looking for teachers, it was a lot of Women whose spouse made enough money that they weren't dependent on income or, you know, young, a lot of times girls out of college not realizing that they should be preparing for their future financially because they're being sold on the dream to teach yoga and true karmic duty to do it for next to nothing. So that really bothered me uh, for a lot of reasons. One, because, you know, with a business background, I couldn't understand why financially you couldn't make it work Yeah. you know, offer these typical things with employment. And then from a yogic perspective, it was so manipulative to get people to think that the less they make, the more devout that they are to the practice and to the spirituality. And that's really what it kind of felt like. Well, you shouldn't be here for the money. You should be here because you love yoga. Don't you love yoga? And it was, it wasn't a great culture to be in. So I remember while I was at that first job, though, I what I got was a clear understanding of how I wanted to make my yoga studio different, you know? I remember having the, the breakdown, calling my mom, like, yoga's the worst. I can't believe I ever got started in this industry. I wanted to quit, and I was crying, and it was like finding out Santa Claus wasn't real is what I describe it, you know, as, and she just said, okay, you have, like, a day to be sad and then figure it out. It's like, okay, got it, and so that was another time where I was just like, okay, if I see this problem, if I want to fix it, like I'm going to have to personally fix it. Yeah. really. And that was, and
0: that like kind of breakdown was just after finding just kind of the way that you felt like you were treated and then just kind of finding out the behind the scenes at the company you were working at.
1: Yeah. I mean, you, if you were sick, obviously you didn't get paid. And if you were sick and you couldn't find coverage, it's a strike, you know, and it was, yeah, it was just very toxic, very, mm. very toxic. Yeah,
0: that sounds so like, ugh, it just doesn't feel good, the, like you were talking about being manipulative as far as like, oh yeah, this is your karmic duty, but also like we care about the money. We will mm-hmm. be collecting all the money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so from then, mm. like what, what did it look like to make the leap where you decided that it was actually time that you wanted to go out and create your own studio? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, so after that, I moved to San Francisco, and when I was in San Francisco, I worked at Lululemon, which was an amazing experience, and kind of what I was thinking was, I knew that my business model was clearly going to be expensive, you know, and so I knew that my yoga studio would have to be a higher price point studio, and what I thought with Lululemon is, okay, Lululemon figured out how to charge $100 for a pair of yoga pants, in the yoga industry. So they figured out one aspect of the model that I needed to uncover. So started working there, worked there for maybe three years and was fascinated by the culture. I mean, they're just really strong culture. It's very team focused. The, the whole team works together and they contribute on different parts of the business. Anyway, I really enjoyed that experience. And then after After a while, I started to get the itch, like, okay, I think I've learned what I need to learn here. I'm about ready to, you know, take the next move. And then I remember going to a SoulCycle class, and I was on the bike. I'm like, why are people so addicted to this spinning thing? I hate spinning, first of all. Mm -hmm. Went to the SoulCycle class. Everybody was super in, like, a trance. I couldn't figure out why. And then I realized, because they're moving to the beat of the music that people, this is my opinion, people were achieving a flow state where they weren't focused on their muscles. They weren't focused on pedaling faster or the thing they were trying to stick with the beat, which keeps them really present, which in yoga, usually that's the breath. And then I was thinking, well, if you can't pedal to the beat, you know, in a yoga class, like there's nothing you can really do in a yoga class the entire time to the beat of the music. You know, because the only thing you do the whole time is breathe. I literally remember sitting on the bike being like, I guess you could breathe to the beat. It's like, no, that'd be weird. I'm like, no, you could breathe to the beat of the music. And I remember being like so excited. I'm like, okay, that's it. That's what, that's what we're going to do. So that was kind of the icing on the cake. I had done countless yoga teacher trainings. I was addicted to them. And I wanted to put all these different styles together in one class. Didn't know how to tie it together, but then when I realized like, we could breathe to the beat the whole time, I was like, okay, that's what it'll be. That's how I'll make it work.
0: Okay, and that was icing on the cake to decide to just like, make it happen for yourself. Yep. Okay, so then when you decided that you wanted to create the studio, you needed funding, right? That was kind uh-huh. of the next step in the journey. Yes, so then I needed funding,
1: and that was when Soul Cycle was really taking off. And so, what we did, I was working with two other people at the time on the, on it, and we were all unemployed at that point. So we made pitching you, our full time.
0: Wait, sorry did did you leave Lululemon with the idea like, okay, I need to leave and create something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There was it was like okay, shit or get off the pot.
1: You can edit that out if you want to, or like I won't. Okay. <laughs> I love to curse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. But yeah, it was like, well, you know, if you say you're going to do it, then do it, you know? Yeah. And so I was like, well, if I believe this is going to work, I'm going to do it. I need the time and space to do it. So yeah, quit my job. And then that was, that was the full-time job was writing the business plan, perfecting the business plan, pitching. And it was grueling and amazing. I mean, we had a tagline that we would use when we would email people and it was the soul cycle of yoga and people loved it. So we would send anywhere from I don't know, maybe about 50 messages a week, if not more on LinkedIn. We we got to a point where it was so high that we couldn't have a free account anymore. Okay. But we didn't have any money, so we had to make new accounts
0: send 50 how, more. How, how were you finding the VCs and for people listening that don't know venture capitalists that you were reaching oh, yeah. out to? Okay. So
1: we looked up anyone and everyone that was associated with the fitness industry, but in different departments. So we'd start with like, okay, competitive or like other yoga studios, where'd they get their funding? Cause usually firms will invest in similar, you know, if they know oh, yoga studios, they invested in those fitness industry. So we would search all of those. We'd have lists of this firm invested in these companies. And then we searched, okay, yoga clothing, who, what firms invested in yoga clothing? Okay. What about real estate? Where are people getting their real estate? So we'd search all the real estate investors and we would take that route. And then once we had depleted the firms, then we took the route of who owns the, who's the current owners of complimentary businesses that might want to start another business who owns, you know, Gold's gym, who owns 24 uh, hour fitness email. them. I mean, there was no shame. Like we yeah. were, we had our tagline, we had our pitch and we were ready to go. And at some points we're doing about 12 pitches a week. And it's funny because now I like look, looking back, I'm like, wow, like, the amount of rejection that we got was insane. I mean, not just rejection, just people looking at our business plan, "Oh, this is never going to work." Like it was almost laughable. So you that. were
0: doing 12 like out of the 50 that you were sending, you were doing 12 pitches like either virtually or on site with people in a week.
1: Yeah, oh yeah. Cuz they were they were fascinating. They all thought by our tagline Soul Cycle of Yoga that we had already opened. Oh, okay. I shouldn't say they all, most of them did. Yeah. And because we were selling it like, yeah, this is this is the most successful yoga studio, you know, business that you'll ever have an opportunity to be a part of. Because mm. literally that was our mind. That's actually what we believed. And so, yeah, people, people took it. They wanted to hear it. They wanted to know what was going on. We would do about, yeah, 10 to 12 pitches a week, either virtually or in person. Some of them were really receptive, thought it was a great idea. They wanted to see like a proof of concept first. The majority of them were not happy with our back end model, which I know we haven't talked about yet, but mm. wanting to pay teachers full-time salaried employee as full-time salaried employees with benefits, so on and so forth. And that was a lot of times like a stop for them. Like if you dropped that, your front end model looks great. Why would you pay someone, you know, six times what other studios are paying. And then on top of that, give them benefits.
0: Okay, okay, wait. Well, let's get, we'll get back to their feedback. But yeah, this is the perfect time to talk okay. about, like, spoiler alert for anyone listening or watching, mm-hmm. it's happening. So yeah, like, right. this is how you're running the back end today. Can you talk about, since we heard a little bit about what the industry standard was or what your experience was, What? how is Ritual Yoga different?
1: Yep, at Ritual, teachers are full-time salaried employees with unlimited sick time and vacation time and health benefits. And after a certain amount of time, a 401k option that, you know, ritual will also contribute to in a career path. So it's not just like, Hey, come be a teacher. It's Hey, then after you're a teacher, what are you interested in? Cool. Like we'll help you develop in leadership. We'll help you develop in if you're interested in social media, if you're interested in, you know, community outreach, the, our teachers, they, I don't even like to say they don't just teach because even just teaching full-time is an amazing amount of energy output and preparation, but they also do something that contributes to the business. You know, each studio runs itself with, a team of anywhere from 3 to 5 full-time employees and they literally run the whole thing. They put their business hats on and they take care of things. Like something breaks, they fix, like it's fixed. It's a job where you're not just pigeonholed into teaching. There is areas of opportunity and places where you can advance in other areas which I see as a way for people to also and this might sound weird, but help them have other potential career opportunities. A lot of times I would see teachers teach full time and get burnt out. And then because all they had done for the past two years is teach, they didn't have any other skill sets to go to apply for other jobs. Right. And that was just like, so heartbreaking to think, okay, now not only did you devote your life to something so great, and then realized you couldn't make it. So you burnt out. Now you've got three years where you didn't learn any other transferable skills. So at least this way, if you're not, if you're not going to stay with ritual, hopefully you can still leave having learned something in addition to teaching that will help you in the future. So I think it's really important for us in our culture to find that balance of teaching and something else that you're passionate about.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And so obviously that is very different than how people normally treat a yoga business. And when you were pitching this they were really excited about the soul cycle of yoga idea but they were not having any of that that you were kind of pitching to them right no nope. just the cost of the benefits we offer to
1: employees is more than payroll at a lot of yoga studios that's just there, just to pay for the benefits. Benefits yeah. like healthcare and things like. like that. Like the healthcare, the four hundred and one Ks, what it, like the right. the expenses when you look on a spreadsheet, they were like this does literally doesn't make sense. Um, mm-hmm. Like this sounds great, but you will just never make enough money to afford right. it. Right.
0: Okay, and I think at this point, with as much pitching as you were doing, and as much effort and like nose to the grindstone, I think that this would be maybe about the time that. You would think about compromising. <laughs> the average right. person might think about compromising, but you didn't, right? Because you didn't end up taking any money.
1: No, we didn't take any money. Um, no, we did not take any money. What we did is we found a gym called Empower that had a yoga room that they were only using for like one or two classes a day, and we're like, "Hey, can we start teaching yoga here?" Obviously, we weren't getting paid, so we didn't have to worry about that, and we knew we just needed yoga mats and whatnot to get started, so they said, yeah, and we said, okay, we'll pay you five bucks ahead for every student we get in. There, we don't have to worry right there about not having enough money to cover rent because we would just know we had to charge more than $5, mm-hmm. and they said yes, and so we started with a couple classes in the evening, and again, this was our proof-of-concept phase, so we wanted to prove that our class was enough to generate a user base and we did, we bought the yoga mats, the towels, put it all on credit cards, started the class, space heaters in the room, music system that worked 50% of the time at best. People were literally punching themselves in the background. Like you could see people bleeding cause it was an MMA gym. And within two weeks we had our first sold out class. Yeah. That, yeah, that was the moment where I'm like, fuck yes. Like obviously, okay, proved it. What's next, you know? obviously not totally proved it, but we knew like this class works. This is something different. The other yoga classes that they had been running for about two years, you know, still were averaging like two people at class. We were back to back with them, you know, selling out. So mm-hmm. we knew we were on to something.
0: Yeah. Well, this is the, this is the part that I can speak to too, because this is when I discovered ritual was in one of those classes and it was It was also an interesting time for you because I I wonder if it also helped probably that Fit Mob, which was then bought by ClassPass, started right around the same time. And that's definitely how I found the class. And I remember going in and, like, you guys were, like, so friendly. I'm like, oh, hey, okay, cool. And then I go into the class and then I, like... From the beginning, I think from what I remember, yeah, like all, a lot of the different components that are very unique to the class style were already there as far as the style of the class, the cold eucalyptus towels, the hot room, like all of that was there and that was very standout. And I do remember being in the class and like being in a flow and like hearing just like, <sniffs> background, which was definitely like I when I go to a yoga class, like I I need the de-stressing, but it didn't matter because I heard that in the background. And I was like, whatever, like I'm getting more than what I need out of this class. So I can totally overlook hearing a little bit of bag punching in the background. Yes.
1: Oh, yes. And that was that is, you know, the coolest thing about it even today. I'm so grateful nobody gave us money to start the first spot. We had a user base. We sold out classes with people punching each other in the background. It is the experience that our teachers create in the room. That's what ritual is. All the other stuff is the glitz and glam. It's the fun stuff. Cool that we have, you know, a couch now. Cool that, you know, we don't share the locker room with the 30 people that just got done with the hit class. But at the end of the day, it's it's the class. It's the in-room experience. And I'm always reminding myself that and trying to remind the team that wasn't there to experience empower days realize like it's it's going to be great teach a fucking amazing class and that's what the students are here for they're not here for i don't know what the coffee table looks like
0: Yeah. now it's all coming back to me and i also remember the class would have who you would expect to come like you know San Franciscan women coming into the class and then like next to them slowly but surely the patrons of the gym were coming in and you would have these guys that were like obviously in shape and they were dying and it was so great to just have like everyone was just the class is a challenge and everyone was really feeling it in those classes. hmm as far as designing the experience, your classes are so intentional. You just think about everything, which is also really unique. And I'm such a nerd for like completely well-designed experiences. Uh-huh. Are is this like a facet of your personality, or like what 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 makes them so? What made you be so detail-oriented about them from the beginning?
1: Yes, I definitely think you could say this is uh, something ingrained in me. And if I didn't know that before, I think I know it now because if this wasn't ingrained in you, no person would maintain their sanity the way that we need to or that I pretty much need to to keep this class this intentional across, you know, the three studios. Yeah, it's definitely definitely a part of me. And again, it kind of comes back so many things about the class, but yoga is just such a an opportunity to create an experience for the practitioners to have a physically demanding um, and changing experience, you know, a soulful experience, a mental experience. And it sounds so cheesy. The reason I think it sounds cheesy is because so many people do it in such a cheesy way. I mean, bless them, no no shade, I guess, kind of shade. But anyway, (laughs) you actually can create an experience that encompasses all three. But you have to pay attention to every breath, every cue, every student, every movement. And you have to be involved in the yoga philosophy. That was one of the things I got the most passionate about was in all of my teacher trainings. We don't really talk about philosophy. Keep the philosophy to yourself. Students are turned off by the philosophy. Some studios, you are not allowed to talk philosophy. Our class, it's no part of our you know, intention is to talk about the intention in every section of class and it needs to be curated. It needs to be thought out. It needs to be applicable to everyday life. It needs to be applicable to on the mat, off the mat. So that was something else that I got really passionate about when creating this class is the yoga philosophy that's. To me, really, where the the essences of the yoga class, if you will, and if you can kick their ass enough physically, intelligently, but still, then you can get them to a physically vulnerable state where their mind and you know their soul has no choice but to hear what you're saying and let it sink
0: in. Yeah, because something that I have found to be pretty unique is like you obviously you, a lot of places you'll do a bit of a meditation, but you would start out with a meditation and. Everything has always been so not just thoughtful, but like even with you personally, when you've taught the classes, you talk about some heavy shit in those classes. (laughs) Like, I would show up and be like, damn, okay, all right, she is showing up (laughs) for this class and she is telling us this. And it really, like, you're so willing to be vulnerable. Uh-huh. It's and it and it does feel like that's something that you value. It's not just something that you personally just happen to do, but you value it highly because you've basically just baked it into your business model. Oh
1: yeah, well, and yeah. It, the power and vulnerability is something we come back to a lot in our classes, and the idea is to remind students that for one, they're not alone in the world, and it's like a lot of the experiences people are going through that might seem for some reason, like people sometimes feel ashamed of or they want to hide or it's too uncomfortable to talk about for us. Like you said, Oh no, we bring it right out in the open. Like, you know, hit your pigeon. Let me tell you about, you know, the divorce I'm going through. Let me tell you what he said last night. Let me tell you about, you know, the father's day when I found out my dad had cancer and, You know, we go right for it because it helps for sometimes people on the receiving end to be like, oh, wow, other people are experiencing these things. It's not an Instagrammable moment per se, especially now, like with what you see. And then with that, the whole reason why we share these stories is so we can teach people how to use yoga to get through them. So the Mm. teacher can share their personal story, but this is how my yoga practice is helping me get through it. What's going on in your life? And how can we use this intention to help you get through it? And so we really focus on on that. And also, sometimes teachers can say airy quotes or they Mm. put themselves on a pedestal. Like, I've got it figured out. I'm the yoga teacher. I better have my shit together because otherwise, why would people come to my class? We take almost the opposite approach. It's like, no, no. Nobody has their shit together. And if you do, then like get bigger problems, challenge yourself more, do something, you know? So we take the opposite approach. We're on the same level. Be humble, share what's going on in your life and allow students to feel like they can connect deeper with you versus trying to look up at you.
0: What do you think about the struggle that as being someone who you know, owns this uh, business and is in a leadership position, I think that vulnerability is difficult, just period, but also specifically for people who are in positions of leadership. How do you think about that?
1: To me, it just has to be authentic. By nature, especially with, with growing ritual, I've gotten to be pretty tough and resilient so by nature usually that's that's what comes to the table when we have meetings and whatnot Is like we got this like what are we gonna do what's the solution cool i go back to okay great we had 12 pitches last week and everybody said our business plan sucked let's do 20 pitches this week and see if we can get one person to say it's okay you know like that's my attitude i authentically usually bring that in and then the vulnerability comes in when something's going on for me personally like bring that you know, hey, this is what's going on for me right now. Sharing that with them. We cry on calls if we need to, you know, we share deep things that are going on in our life with one another all the time. And what I find is it actually helps us so much. So that way, if I'm on a call with a teacher, you know, or manager or anyone, it's like, I know where they're coming from in their life personally. And they know where I'm coming in my life personally. So it's like, Okay, today it's we're not we're not really talking about the financial metrics that we're trying to meet, and that's why we're in a bad mood or whatever it might be. It's I slept for two hours last night because I just had a breakup, and so on and so forth. It just helps to kind of be on the same energetic wavelength, but also understand why we're there. It's an easier place to lead from. But it is interesting, a lot of the leadership books I read are, you know, like, don't let them see you sweat, don't let them know, don't let them see you break, so on and so forth, keep it all together, always have your shit together, and I'm like, oh, that sounds exhausting.
0: Yeah. Well, like, and also the way that you're talking about things like the immediately what I was thinking from the perspective of other people who might be running businesses or like just kind of the traditional way of thinking a lot like the other things that you've done in your business, someone might just look at it and be like, well, that sounds like a waste of time and time is money. But is it really because you guys could dance around all these things and, and like end up in these head to head? Because you just don't really realize what's going on under the surface, which is way more time-consuming. Oh, I can't even imagine. If
1: some, if some of the stuff that goes on in people's personal lives, if I didn't know, and if they didn't know what was going on for me, and then all we thought about was why their reports weren't in on time, yeah. that would be infinitely more time-consuming than just being like, oh, I see, like, your mom's sick, really, really sick. Okay, yeah, like, why don't you just forget about the reports for the week? And then we'll move on from there. There's five minute conversation. So yeah, to me, it helps a lot.
0: This is kind of jumping back. But one thing that we didn't talk about about the classes Mm -hmm. is something that I would say stands out more than like the fact that everything is there which is awesome and it's luxurious and the towels like all these things are amazing but the fact that you have someone who's leading and someone who's doing adjustments and I had been doing yoga for many years before I first got to ritual and I've been to many classes and I have to say whenever I've been in a class I do not want an adjustment because usually what that means is like someone spotted me and i did something wrong and then it's gonna be awkward and they're gonna touch me and i'm not gonna like it and people are gonna see like there's so much that goes along with it that i'm always just like don't come over here. okay i'm doing it right am i aligned enough i don't know just like don't look at me <laughs> but in ritual i think there's a bunch of different parts to it i think part of it is the fact that you're so methodical about going person by person and know everyone is gonna get this but this part, I'm going out on a limb and will probably sound like a complete weirdo, but I'm going to just go with it. I feel like anyone who is doing the adjustment, it feels like such a caring touch and it feels so like, I don't know, it just feels like such a like a loving experience, which sounds super weird, but I honestly feel that way And I, and I wonder because it feels like that across the board. How do you guys talk about adjustments? Is this something that like, it you've cultivated, or that you think about?
1: Yeah. Oh, yes. We definitely, <laughs> definitely
0: think about it. We
1: definitely think about it. For one thing, it starts with the audition. You have to audition to be an assistant, and we audition a lot of people. Not just anybody can come in the room. And you, ha- you know, you got to be a trained teacher. You're going to assist our teachers first, and then we're going to take you through another training, and then we're going to let you go in the room, and then you're going to get a lot of f- feedback. When we created the ritual experience overall, we wanted to touch on the five senses, create a sensual experience, and you know one of the senses is touch. So that has always been really, really important for us in the room, and we go through this in all of our trainings. We talk about the correct alignment, so on and so forth, identifying are we, are we making the student go deeper in the pose, is it an energetic assist? Where, where are they? What do they need? Kind of like you said, are you doing something wrong? Most of the time, it's not something that people are doing wrong. Most of the time it's a, an adjustment to enhance or maybe get them a little deeper into the post because that's what we're training in them. And that's kind of how we literally feel. You probably can feel that in the adjustment and for people who don't really talk about energy transfers that much probably be like what the fuck but but it's true like that's the energy they put into it it's like i am mm-hmm. helping this person's experience and we talk about little things like okay what does it mean to not be in an adjustment for too long what is too short of an adjustment so we do go through all of these things the other thing that i always try to tell people is this might be the only time the person has been touched all day
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And I mean, to me, that's just so wild to think about. Some people, and I know I've had days like that, you can go through the entire day with not one person giving you a hug, not even like a handshake, no physical human-to-human touch, which is interesting. With the digital world, like you just aren't, there are so many opportunities to not be in a physical connection with with another human being, so... These moments are something that people can crave. It's like nice to be seen and be paid attention to, and like be shown that like oh, somebody really actually like really cares about you enough to be like, oh my gosh, your warrior two is great. And if we can just move this toe a little bit, and if it relaxes. I think you're going to feel even better in this post. And that's the mentality that goes into every touch is how can we make this experience just a little bit better?
0: Yeah, it definitely comes across. Like I, yeah, it stands out from the very beginning for sure. It's very like caring. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And we go mat to mat intentionally too. So that way it's, it's some studios, they call it hunt and peck where you hunt around the room for the person that needs the most help. And then you peck them. No shade again. And I'm just like, oh, gosh, that sounds – and then what about the people –
0: It sounds awful, yeah. Right, and then
1: what about the people who have really strong practices? Cool, once you're good enough, we're just not going to pay attention to you anymore. Right,
0: yeah. Okay, so we're kind of jumping around, but through your sharing in the classes and like it it feels like you personally are very in touch with all the aspects of yourself, your strengths, your weaknesses, your fears, your femininity, like all these different pieces. What helps you stay connected? Because I think it's easy to turn off parts of ourselves that we find to be inconvenient, which can end up hurting us in the long run. But like what What keeps you feeling in touch? And are there times that you feel out of touch and like how do you get back to that?
1: Yes, absolutely. Honestly, it's yoga. Uh,
0: I guess I should have seen that coming. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I'm like, I hate to even use this answer, but it
1: is. It's yoga. It's when I go to yoga, it just opens me up. Everything comes out on the mat and then it's also like a very quiet experience, you know? Very Personal yet connected. It's just a different kind of experience. And for me, it just really works for me. And honestly, when I do get out of touch, it's what I haven't been practicing as much. Like when I was pregnant and after I had Atlas, it was like, oh my gosh, where am I? How do I put this semblance of a corpse back together and get some life back in here? It usually comes down to me just hitting the mat and everything seems to make sense. In addition, I have to become really good at being okay with not being okay. Mm. I find the most stress and anxiety comes from when I'm not in a good place, headspace, when something's you know stressing me out, so on and so forth. But I try to just change it. Yeah. Try to pretend like everything's fine. Instead, it's like, no, I'm just really having a shitty day. This may or may not be why. And then once I can kind of go there with myself, I can start to understand what do I need to get back to where I want to be. And it might be an eight hour day of watching Netflix. It might be like, I need to turn off, you know, and just zone out. Or I might need to go out and see friends. I might need to go and drink so many margaritas that I have tequila shots after it. I don't even know how many tequila shots
0: I had. This leads perfectly to a question that I had when you have so much to do you're running a business and this is coming from like me personally seeking answers when there's an endless amount of work to be done and there's always more that you can do how do you let go and clear your mind and do the thing like going out with your friends or like whatever and just not worrying about it like how do you yeah, how do you I don't know. Do you intentionally like be like, "Okay, I need to make sure that I am like breaking up my weeks with these different plans" or like how do you turn your mind off? I have questions around all of it.
1: Yeah. I who said this to me the other day, but I it's one thing I'm fortunate with right now. It's, they said, "You know, if you want to go fast, go go alone. If you want to go far, go with others." And I absolutely know the team and the culture that we've created is so strong if I keeled over tomorrow ritual would go on so that is like an always a very comforting experience like mentally like relaxing Mm -hmm. thing yes things would be hell for a while and not to diminish the role that I play or anything like that like trust me I do stuff during the day but knowing that there are other people who care about the success and are invested so much in the mission you know puts my mind at ease to know like, okay, it's us. We're all in this together. And then affording them that same mental release. You need a week off, go. You left all of your tasks unassigned and undone, but shit's really hitting the fan in your life, go. We'll figure it out, you know, no grudges. So that's definitely one way that I can think about it. The other way, because it hasn't always obviously been like that, And there are still things that I have to do in order for this business to move forward. We could sustain, but to move forward, to grow. Oh gosh, to be honest, it's a good glass of wine (laughs) is honestly what helps me. Like it's preserving. And I guess what that means, bigger picture is preserving my rituals that I know I have to have to maintain sanity. I know A glass of wine in the evening makes me super happy. I know like being able to spend the mornings with Atlas makes me happy. And I know the quality of work that I do when I'm happy is exponentially greater than when I'm in a stressed mood. I still always have that voice in the back of my head, but yes, you should still be getting this done because if you got it done today, instead of getting it done tomorrow, you'd be moving faster. That is still a struggle with me. We're working on franchising right now and I'm like, okay, I could do that tomorrow. But if I did it today, then that just puts us ahead on our timeline or I could push that off until next week. But if I, so that's definitely an internal struggle Yeah, that I, I don't have an answer for. I just try to get done, you know, what I can and then really just let the rest go. There is one, one thing that I try to remember is the, The story, you know, where they there's like a man, he's down in Mexico or something and he sees like another guy fishing. Have you heard this story? That one? Yeah. It's a great story. Yeah. Yes, and he sees the guy fishing, for anybody who hasn't heard it, but sees the guy fishing and he's like, Oh my gosh, you're a really good fisherman. I bet if you learned exactly what you're doing and what works, you could start a business, you could move to the States, you could make all this money so that way you could retire in go live in Mexico on the beach and fish for the rest of your life. So I always try to remember that. I'm like, okay, for me personally, I want to be able to do yoga every day. I want to have the freedom to like work on what I want to work on when I want to work on it. And I actually have that today. So don't lose sight of that. And don't forget to like go fishing if you're
0: already on the beach, you know? Yeah. That's good advice. Yeah, I love that story. I'll link it in the show notes for people. It's a good one. Do you have any inspirational books or podcasts that you would recommend? I'm a big book person.
1: Journey to the Heart by Melody Beattie is my favorite. It's daily meditations. Okay, it's fabulous. I love that book. And then for business, probably my favorite one is Leadership Pipeline. Anybody who's trying to grow a business, that would be the book I'd recommend reading. When you talk about how do you get things done, have you read Leadership Pipeline?
0: No, I haven't. I haven't read either of those.
1: Oh, but my.
0: It's, I will. <laughs> I mean, but after this recommendation, yeah. I have yeah, to. Yeah, it made me realize, like, <laughs> oh, okay, you really can do anything,
1: and here's the simple process you need to follow. Okay. Yeah, so I really like that one. Good to Greats, another awesome one for business. Yeah, I've read that. Energy one. Energy Bus is a good one for business. Have you read that one? It's no. kind of cheesy, but so good. And anytime we're having like any issues, like culturally, it's like come back to the Energy Bus. It basically, just talks about how what energy you're bringing to a space is felt by everybody around you. So managing mm-hmm. that, I think those probably are my
0: are my favorites. And for anyone who's listening and not on their computer, I'll put links to those so you don't have to remember them. If I have a hypothetical mm-hmm. question for you. If you could put a billboard anywhere and it could say anything, what would you put on it and uh, where would you put it? Maybe somewhere,
1: like in Chicago, I don't know what exit is, but the exit, like you get off. To come to downtown Chicago, one phrase that I love is if you're going through hell, keep going mm. that might sound a little bit darker, if you will, or not like super flowery and inspirational. sometimes that's just kind of me, but I think I like that you know a little a little edge to it, maybe
0: yeah. I like that too. Okay, and then for anyone who is listening and they are thinking about, they might be sitting at their desk at their 9 to 5 or maybe they're in university and they're thinking, like, I would really like to do something different. They have some ideas about it and they're kind of standing on the edge of the water. What advice might you have for them? <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> How
1: much are you willing to sacrifice to actually make it happen? Not everybody is meant to do their own thing, like start their own business, and is not glamorous. And so if you're doing it because you think it's glamorous or it's easy or because you're going to make a lot of money, none of those three things are true. So my advice would be if you're really passionate about whatever you want to do, if you're really like, I would give up my life, everything I like doing my weekends, my savings, because I believe in what I would be taking on. And in addition, if you're willing to take the risk, even if it might fail, then go for it. The cool thing is, cause if you can say yes, like this is so worth it to me. If you can say like, This is worth me sacrificing everything. This is worth me potentially failing and giving up, you know, 10, 20 years of my life. But just to say I tried, if you can say that, like, then hell yes, you will, you will succeed. Success might be a different definition than other people think. But if you can say yes to that, then just fucking go for it. Quit your job. Have at it.
0: Yeah. You got to do it for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you would like to share or promote or talk about to anyone who might be listening? I mean, come to Ritual. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Okay, so if you're in San Francisco or Chicago, definitely go to Ritual. Yeah, and if yes. you don't go
1: to Ritual, go to another yoga studio. If you don't like Ritual style of yoga, just go to yoga, I believe, in the practice. I kind of think yoga is like wine, you know. Everybody likes wine. You're just not drinking the right wine. So if you go to one class and you don't like it, <laughs> try a different studio. I don't actually care if you love ritual or not. We're just one studio. But I definitely believe in the practice. So find a studio that you love.
0: Okay. Yeah, I think that's, that's it. I just want to thank you for creating such a thoughtful business and space for people and being you. Yeah. And for joining me on this podcast. And thank you. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for hanging out with me and listening to this episode with the incredible Lindsay Kaelberg. Check out the show notes at that'sdifferentpodcast.com for links to anything that we mentioned. Also, this season of That's Different is coming to a close soon. So please be sure to reach out either in a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, comments on the site or by emailing me at sarah at differentpodcast.com. that's Sarah, S-A-R-A, to let me know how you've liked the show and any requests or ideas that you have for season two. I get a ton out of these conversations, but ultimately, I take the time to make them available to you via podcast because I hope that you get value out of them too. That's it for today, and as always, until next time, don't be afraid to be a little different.